the, the general obligation under the Abrahamic covenant is to obey the commandments. But we know the Savior taught us very clearly what the first commandment is, what the primary commandment is, and that is that we love God. And that's part of what creates this relationship, right? That that uh, we love God more than anything else, and that creates a bond, and that's what a covenant is. It's about creating bonds and relationships. Uh, it, they tie us together. That creates a bond that um, that is different than anything else. So we have a bond with anything we love, but whatever we love the most is what we have the strongest bond with. And so as long as we love God the most, and He influences us the most, He prevails in our life, then that is our strongest bond. And that's crucial because this is the only bond that can save us. Quietly, we are marching our way towards episode 500 of the Cultural Hall, what with this being episode number 490. Now, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I recognize that I should have published this episode today. In the future, it won't matter, but I've made the promise of always publishing an episode on Monday and always publishing an episode on Friday. Well, in the next Articles of News, which will be next Monday, and it'll be a long news, and there will be several characters who will be a part of it, I'll tell you about the headache, the absolute train wreck of a disaster that has occurred that made this episode be published so late. Oh yeah, I was in the South for the coldest, most miserable. I don't want to tip my hand too much, uh, but look forward to that in an upcoming episode of the Cultural Hall. Now, Speaking of the 500th episode, there's still an opportunity for you to become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. And if you get it done in the next couple weeks, you can actually pay for the entire year and get a reduced rate like our friend Robin the Red and also our friend uh, Carrie have both done. Uh, you can find out about that at patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Saves you like uh, 16%. Saves you a couple months. Um, you can do that. Same privileges. Same, uh, same, all the stuff. You just get to save a little bit of money. But here is where this comes into play. For the 500th episode, I have asked for you folks to send me, uh, you know, some sort of thing like, hey, I love the cultural hall, or, you know, this is a recording and blah, 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 blah. Whatever the thing may be, I would love it if you would do that. And now I'm going to sweeten the pot and ask that you do it, and I may bribe you. With this uh, interview, we talk with Kerry about his book, God Will Prevail, and we have a giveaway thanks to the good folks over at Covenant. So, uh, to the first person who emails me, contact at theculturalhall.com, some sort of audio that I can use for the 500th episode celebration, uh, I will, in fact, give you a copy of the book that you're going to hear all about. So, don't hesitate. Also, don't think, oh, I'm listening to this on Thursday. It's probably too late. You never know. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, I have something up my sleeve for other folks who send stuff in. That's one thing. I want to say a good and kind fo uh, thanks to the folks over at Deseret Book, because you can get Carrie's book for 15% off by using the code RICHIE15 at checkout, but you have to use the code RICHIE15, or you can find a link to that particular store at Deseret Book uh, by going to theculturalhall.com. Look on the right-hand side, there's a thing that says RICHIE15, blah, blah, blah. You click on it, you go through, you get the deal. Get the deal. You see the deal? Get the deal. All right, let's get to this episode with Carrie Muelstein. Yeah. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and we liked him so much we decided to invite him back. Uh, who am I talking about? Of course, it's Kerry Muelstein. Uh, he was in episode 407, so you got to go back a little ways and you can be able to hear the conversation we had before. Today, we're not going to spend a whole ton of time getting to know Carrie because we did that already. So if you want to hear that, I'll leave that in the show notes. You can find out about uh, Carrie, his wife, his family, how he came to be, who and what he is. Um, but today we're talking about Abrahamic covenants. Now, here's the deal. I, I know you hear that and you go, whoa, 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 click off. Don't understand. What are we doing? Old Testament stuff. What is this? You've tricked me. This is not something you normally do here in the cultural hall, and you're right. All of those things are 100% accurate. We don't normally talk about that. This will be a little bit different. The fact that we're having Carrie back a second time is odd, but it's so great that we are excited to have this conversation. I'll be honest, I don't know very much about the Abrahamic Covenant. 
I'm excited to learn at your feet, Carrie, and even more so, a little bit more selfish if I can share uh, with the, the folks here in the cultural hall, there's a part of my patriarchal blessing that mentions the Abrahamic covenant, and I've always just sort of bookmarked it and said, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll study that later. That There's some promises, I'm sure, there, but I don't really know what that is. Maybe today is the day that I learn a little bit about that. Welcome to the Cultural Hall, Kerry. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Now, I hope we can help you with that. Yeah, I hope so, too. Now, we should probably set the stage a little bit. Give me that 30-second, there's no way we can encapsulate your entire life. Who are you? Uh, I'm a professor of ancient scripture at BYU, so I teach religion courses there and, and uh, Old Testament. I also teach ancient and recent studies uh, courses, Egyptian archaeology and so on. I, I direct an excavation in Egypt, and I write books and articles. And, you know, you've got this upcoming book all about the Abrahamic Covenant. That's why you're here. You reached out and you said, listen, Richie, of all the shows about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you are my absolute favorite. I would love to spend some time with you. And I said, oh, Carrie, stop. You're too kind. Uh, come on in and let's do it. Now, I, I remember saying almost <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said some of those words. Some of those words were shared. Um, absolutely true. I, so so I did what any good person would do uh, in doing a little bit of research for when we would chat. Uh, I went to churchofjesuschrist.org and looked up Abrahamic Covenant, uh, and I'll read, and this will be the only sort of reading necessarily that we may do during this, uh, but just to give people a, a kind of set the table for what we're talking about. Abraham made covenants with God when he received the gospel. He was ordained a high priest. He entered into celestial marriage. In these covenants, God promised great blessings to Abraham and his family. These blessings, which extend to all of Abraham's seed, which, spoiler, that's all of us, is called the Abrahamic covenant. Some of those, but maybe not all of those blessings would be uh, that our posterity would be numerous, his seed or descendants would receive the gospel, and all of the families of the earth would be blessed. I will let you take the rest of the episode, Carrie. Where do you want to go? <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate your giving me some time and, and the opportunity to talk about a subject I'm pretty passionate about, and I think increasingly church membership is becoming passionate about this. And in particular, I think one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it now is because President Nelson has just talked in, in uh, October conference about the gathering of Israel and, and uh, asked members of the church to study the, the blessings that are promised to, uh, as part of the covenant and the gathering. And uh and I'm just finding that people in general express exactly what you did. Mm -hmm. That, okay, I know this is important. I don't know exactly what it is. Right. And you get a little brief synopsis like the one you just read, and they feel like, okay, I, I kind of understood that, but I don't know that I'm in a lot of a different place than I was before. And yet it's such a, a rich and beautiful and wonderful topic that permeates Scripture. One of the things that I found, and this is really the goal of this book that I've been working on, uh, researching for six years, really. I've been uh, writing articles about it as we go along and, and so on, and finally just have uh, gotten it all together in this book. One of the, the things that I'm finding is that as people understand this, so I, I also go around and speak about this in various places and so on, though this is my first podcast, mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for that. You are welcome. But, um, <laughs> but it is that uh, as people feel like they start to understand it, and they're able to start to recognize it in the scriptures, that the scriptures, they interact with the scriptures differently, they find more power in it, they find uh, more applicability to themselves. And so those are the kinds of things that we're hoping will come out of uh, studying the Abrahamic Covenant. So maybe I can just start by asking you a question, and we'll put this you on the other foot, and I'll, I'll ask you a question. All but, right, I say bring it. So when, when you think of... Uh, say, for example, First Nephi 19.23, and it says uh, that we did liken the Scriptures unto ourselves, uh, that it could be for our profit and our learning. Is the first thing you think of being of the House of Israel and the Abrahamic Covenant? Uh, no, no, absolutely no. not. Uh, and I think that's the case for just about everyone. But if you read that verse in context, and it's kind of fun because I just did this with my, my uh, one of my classes yesterday. You read this in context, and the things that Nephi is talking about before that are all about being of the house of Israel and the covenant. And then he's very specifically in the next verse, in verse 24, he says, wherefore, so because I want us to liken these things, I, I, he says to Laman and Lemuel, we're going to read from Isaiah, who's talking about 
Israel, and you are part of the house of Israel, therefore these things are applicable to you. So if we read that verse in context, when he says to liken it to yourself, what he's saying is, the scriptures are about the Abrahamic covenant in the house of Israel. You're part of that, as, as you said in your introduction. Mm-hmm. You're part of that, so these scriptures are about you. And when we take them that way, it just opens up things in, in a whole new light. Which I think is really valuable, and what I love about what I, what I feel like your book does is that it dumbs it down. But when you say it like what you just said, I still want to go, you know, trying to understand this whole thing. So let me give us a couple of specific examples. Maybe the easiest thing is to first talk about what are the blessings and the obligations of the Abrahamic Covenant. And then we can talk about how we can recognize that in the scriptures and, and so on. I, I think maybe that's a good way to go about this. And, yeah. And of course, all, all of this is much more in-depth in the book, but we'll give a good summary here. So, And I'll, I'll say, for years, I mean, I've taught um, Old Testament and Pearl of Great Price for uh, over 25 years now. And so for years I've had, and when we go through the Abrahamic Covenant, I've had this bullet point that I'd go through. And I do that in lectures and so on. But as I was writing the book, I thought, well, I don't want to just have a bullet point of blessings. So let me think about these and see how, how can I group these so that they, they uh, are in a way that these blessings belong together and these blessings belong together. And it made me look at them in a different way, because I had the list. I'd gone through all of Scripture, found everything I could uh, find anywhere. It was a blessing of the Abrahamic Covenant, and I just had this nice list. Mm-hmm. But when I, I started to try to group it together and make sense of it, suddenly— the covenant made sense to me, even though at that point I'd been teaching it for more than 25 years, it made sense to me in a way it never had before. Hmm. Um, and and, and it's, it's more logical and, it, it, and more beautiful. So I'll put it this way. Scripturally, especially in the Old Testament, but really everywhere, the, the covenant is summed up in, in one little phrase that I missed the power of before I, I went through this exercise I was just talking about. It's summed up in this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. Right. Obviously, that's what God says. Okay. Right. And 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 those phrases. So if we're going to talk about recognizing the Abrahamic covenant in and well, let's actually back up a step. I should have done this earlier. This is important because I find lots and lots of people don't realize this. The uh, the Abrahamic covenant and the New and Everlasting Covenant are two names for the same thing. So we often think of a New and Everlasting Covenant, which is marriage, or baptism is also referred to as a New and Everlasting Covenant. Mm -hmm. But really those are, and and we've got plenty of uh, leaders of the Church who have thought this, that those are elements of the New and Everlasting Covenant. So all of the covenants that we're familiar with, and this is another part that people kind of get confused. They say, okay, well, I'm supposed to follow a covenant path. Okay, that's good. I know about the covenants I make in baptism. I know about covenants I make in the temple. And then President Nelson starts talking about the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, what, what, how does that fit in with all of this? Hmm. Well, they're all elements of the same thing. You enter into the New and Everlasting, or Abrahamic Covenant, at baptism. You enter into it further in the temple, even further as you're sealed in the temple, uh, which is fun because we actually—I think if you look in Genesis, you see Abraham entering into it in stages. So I, I think it's at least somewhat analogous. Um, so— it, it it's also called the new and everlasting covenant. But I, I want to hit pause real quick though because it's there. Yeah. There has to be some sort of intention in that, right? It wouldn't it wouldn't only be the Abrahamic covenant as well as the new and everlasting covenant without a reason. Like they're the two names for the thing. What have you right. found in your research? Why there would need to be these two names? Because naturally we will get confused. It's like no, I'm living the Abrahamic right. covenant, and all the people living the new and everlasting covenant are like same thing, pal. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, and it is confusing. And that I found that that's why I should have said this earlier. That this, this, like, you have to pause for a second, and everyone has to readjust mentally and say, "Okay, wait, what? Same thing?" And it's not just marriage. Wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. I, I would guess that with Adam, when it's established with Adam, I don't think it's called the New and Everlasting Covenant. Probably just called the Everlasting Covenant at that point. And actually, it's even established in premortality. Joseph Smith and John Taylor teach us that the, this covenant begins between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and apparently, the Father wants to save all mankind, and the, the Son enters into a covenant with him that he will help him make that possible. And then that, that covenant is extended to all the rest of us. So it's extended to, to Adam. It has to be renewed from time to time. Uh, so, for example, with, with Enoch or with Noah, the covenant is renewed, and that's why it ends up being called the New and Everlasting Covenant, because it ends up being new each time it's reestablished, but it's everlasting because it's the covenant that we've always had. 
Uh, so then my question then naturally becomes, if there has to be that restoration, you mentioned Enoch and you mentioned some of these other individuals, as we're talking from the Old Testament, my mind naturally goes to that there had to have been some sort of restoration of the new and everlasting covenant in our time. And I'm guessing the likely candidate for that would be Joseph Smith. Is there a particular time? Is it something within the Kirtland Temple that that's where this is the reestablishment of the new and everlasting covenant? So I would say it again happens in stages. Okay. So and and this is a major part of the reason for the restoration. So for example, in in one of the accounts of the first vision, which is what we talked about last time, was the first vision. And so in one of those accounts, Joseph Smith is told by God that that one of the things he's unhappy about with all the other churches and so on is that they've broken the new and everlasting covenant. And then when Moroni comes to Joseph Smith. In one of the accounts, Joseph Smith says that he tells him that the reason he's appearing and what is about to happen is the reestablishment of the new and everlasting covenant. And the Book of Mormon is very clear that that's one of its major purposes, to restore covenants, hmm. uh, and especially knowledge of the covenants with Israel. But again, that's the same thing. Right? And since we enter into the new and everlasting covenant of baptism, I would say as John the Baptist comes to Joseph Smith and gives him the authority to baptize— that's a beginning of being able to enter into this covenant. But clearly, since we enter into it more fully, say, with the sealing ordinances, it's not until we get to the Kirtland Temple, and and we have specifically Moses, Elijah, and Elias, who all come and restore keys that have to do with the Abrahamic covenant, and sometimes mentioned very specifically that way. I would guess that's when we get most fully the ability to enter into that covenant. It, it still doesn't happen until Joseph Smith starts doing sealings. So so then let me ask you this then, if if it is not just a singular event, but an evolution process uh, begun at the time that John the Baptist gives the power to baptize, continued when uh, we're given the power to, you know, be sealed into the eternities, is there then, because it's still the restoration, we constantly hear that the restoration is going on, are we then living in the in the fullness of the new and everlasting covenant, or are there still more things to come? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't be the one that could answer that question. Um, that's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> um, but, but what I would say, and I, and I should be clear that I, this is just me reasoning out when I say that I think that it starts with John the Baptist. It just makes sense to me because uh, we enter into it at baptism, so that makes sense to me. So I'm not the one who can actually say doctrinally, this is how it works. This is just what uh, I, as we talk about the stages of uh, it being restored, it's what makes sense to me. Yeah, we, we um, there it, may be more. I don't know. We we maybe don't need to clarify, but worth saying, Carrie uh, is not the prophet of the church, nor has he received this direct revelation um, from God. But this this as we start to engage in these conversations, I I think that it a lot of times is these questions that sort of come up in the discussion of things that help us be able to if not further understand things, have more questions that then lead to further understanding of things. So when we talk, and hopefully people get that from listening to us, that we're not saying, this is the authoritative, you know, this is the way that it is, it can't be any other way, or you must believe it this way. But but my mind does get curious to not only are we fulfilling the new and everlasting covenant, but is there still more? And maybe what does that even look like? What is that you know, what? what is the rest of that, not only covenant that we could make look like, but also what are the blessings from more of that covenant look like? I, I agree, and I think you're right, asking these questions. I mean, that's what makes a conversation like this fun, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're both learning as we're going along and we're thinking of things in different ways because because we're asking questions of each other. That's that's what makes it fun, and that's how we learn. And and you're I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that we will see the blessings more fully and more beautifully realized as we progress. Hmm. Uh, are there, is there more progression into the covenant? I don't know. I guess one day we'll, we'll find out. But anyway, so to, to kind of rewind a little bit and get back to Abraham, Abraham says very specifically in Abraham chapter one in the first five verses, says very specifically that he is seeking for the covenants. Well, he says the blessings, but it's, it's clear he's meaning covenants that, Adam had, and he, and he names Adam, the first father, even Adam, mm-hmm. that he's seeking for those covenants. He's aware that, that uh, they're around, that his own personal father has become wicked, and so he's not going to be able to receive it from his father. 
So he's seeking for that covenant, and, and he says he found it. And he also wants the right wherein to he can administer it to others, meaning he wants to receive the priesthood so that he can help others be part of the covenant. All right, so that makes it clear that it, the covenant Abraham receives, which we know through modern revelation he receives from Melchizedek, but the covenant that he receives is the same covenant that Adam had. But it's from this time forth most often going to be referred to as the covenant with Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant with Israel. And I think the reason for that is because there, there is a, well, as I said, each time the covenant is given in each new dispensation, it's basically the same covenant, but it's tailor-made to that dispensation, right? So a little bit, given a little bit differently to Noah than to Adam and so on and so on. One of the changes that is significant when it comes to Abraham is that from here on out, anyone who becomes part of that covenant becomes part of Abraham's seed. And from here on out, it's Abraham's seed who is tasked with administering and spreading the covenant. So that's part of why we'll refer to it as the Abrahamic covenant, is because he becomes a funnel point from then on out. Uh, there were other people who had been part of the covenant that weren't you know, Abraham's seed before then, but after Abraham, it all has to be administered by his family. And that's one of the interesting things. In fact, this is worth talking about a little bit as well. Sometimes when we talk about a covenant or covenant people, people feel a little leery because they feel like that's exclusive. Sure. And we live in a day where we don't want to be elitist, we don't want to be exclusive, and especially when you start talking families or genetic descent, we say, whoa, whoa, hang on. Uh, God loves all his children, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's be clear. The covenant is the most inclusive thing that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Right? We are doing everything we can really everything we can, with all the resources, energy, abilities that we have to get everyone we can to join the covenant on this side of the veil. And we're putting equally as much energy and resources and time into getting everyone on the other side of the veil to join the covenant. We want everyone to be part of this, dead or alive, right? Everybody should be part. That's as inclusive as you can get. We're begging and pleading, please be part of this covenant. Still, people have to make the choice. So it's exclusive in that you can exclude yourself, but we beg you to be included, right? It's, it's expansively inclusive because we'll spend the eternities trying to get people to be part of this covenant, right? We're, we're literally uh, eons, and on both sides of the veil, we're trying to get people to be part of this covenant. But God needs someone to be tasked with spreading the covenant, you need someone to say, this is your job, you get you administer, and you get others to become a part of this covenant. And God works with families. That's his primary uh, vehicle uh, for the plan of salvation, is the family, right? Mm-hmm. So he's chosen a family. He chooses Abraham, and he says, your family, you're responsible for this. Go and get everyone else to be part of the covenant. And and so it's a, it's a family-inclusive affair, is how I would put it, which I, is, is beautiful. I want to uh, take a break right there, and when we come back, I want to further understand um, the blessings of the Abrahamic Covenant. Make sure that I understand right. each of the different parts that, that we actually covenant to, because as we, as we know, whether it be from Sunday school or when the missionaries taught us, you know, a covenant is we promise some things with, God, God promises some things to us, and and we're all sort of elevated because of that. I want to get into that as well, and we'll do all that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer's ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I wish for you to please go to Patreon.com forward slash the 
Cultural Hall. There you will find an opportunity, a way for you to be able to financially support the Cultural Hall, all the great episodes that we do. Uh, if this is your first episode, we also do a one hour a week uh, kind of news roundup where we talk about anything and everything that's going on with the church ripped from the headlines and with some fun, sometimes snarky commentary. Uh, but we encourage you to please uh, make that donation, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Now, Carrie, I, you know, so we've we've now been talking for, you know, only 20 minutes or so. We've talked about the name of it and we've sort of hit on the promised blessings. We, we've mentioned that, you know, it, it is the the um, descendants or the house of Abraham that will be called to do the work. And I hear that and I go, cool, great. So I've got to do more work. And then I look at some of the other blessings and it's like there are the, the posterity will be numerous. And I kind of go, cool, lots of kids. Way to go, Abraham. Like I, I, there, there is something interesting for me to understand this at the level that we have taken it so far, but I don't know that it compels me to be better, do better, act better, engage in the gospel in a different way at least at the level that I feel like President Nelson was asking us to do. So you've got your you've got your work cut out for us. All right, let's let's see what we can do for you here. So we can return back to where uh, I was starting long ago, uh, before I realized that there were preface comments I should have made, which is that uh, as we as as I was looking at what the blessings really are, it it comes down to that phrase: "I will be your God, and you will be my people." And then we start to explore what God means by the the idea that we, He will be our God, and we'll talk more about obligations in a minute. But but there's an obligation, and you'll find that most elements have both an obligation and a blessing associated with them. So the obligation is that we worship God; we don't worship other things. But the great thing is all that is is inherent in the idea that God will be a God to us; that'll take care of us. But but even before we get to that, the linchpin. And this is what I, I came to really understand as I, as I looked at all these blessings together. The linchpin of the Abrahamic covenant is the relationship. What God wants more than anything else is to establish a closer relationship with us. He wants us to be closer to him and thus more like him. And that's inherently summed up by God being our God, that we... In fact, well, another way we could put this is the way that President Nelson put it in his talk in October, which is that he will be the biggest influence in our lives. He will prevail in our lives, that nothing else matters to us as much as God. And we have a, a, a an ever-increasing heightened relationship with him. So, for example, then, if we're going to get into to the obligations— we know that the greatest, well, the, the, the general obligation under the Abrahamic Covenant is to obey the commandments. But we know the Savior taught us very clearly what the first commandment is, what the primary commandment is, and that is that we love God. And that's part of what creates this relationship, right? That, that uh, we love God more than anything else, and that creates a bond, and that's what a covenant is. It's about creating bonds and relationships. Uh, it, they tie us together. That creates a bond that um, that is different than anything else. So we have a bond with anything we love, but whatever we love the most is what we have the strongest bond with. And so as long as we love God the most, and he influences us the most, he prevails in our life, then that is our strongest bond. And that's crucial because this is the only bond that can save us. Right, so we want that to be the strongest bond. In return, God has a changed relationship with us. So, in fact, the scriptural phrase for this, there's a scriptural word, and the word is chesed. You have to kind of spit a little bit. Chesed. Chesed. Right? Chesed. Yeah, right. chesed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very good. Good. So, and uh, chesed is most often, the most common way it's translated in the King James Version is loving kindness. But it's, it's more than loving kindness. And sometimes you'll see it translated as mercy. Um, or love and so on, but it's it's a word that is important enough uh, to the theology of of the Old Testament that lots of people have studied this word in the different ways it's used and what it means. And and I'll I'll try and sum it up quickly. It is a special kind of love and mercy that is available only within a covenant. So when you're in a covenant relationship with God, there's a special love and a special mercy available to you. Now. There's a part of us that as soon as we hear that, we say, wait a minute, I thought God loves all his children. Mm -hmm. And he does. Mm -hmm. 
But let's let's think of it this way. My wife is a, a wonderful person, truly wonderful, and I think she really does love everybody. But I have to admit that I hope she loves me in a different way than she loves everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true because we have formed a covenant relationship with each other and, and now have gone through all these shared experiences with each other, and that has created a special kind of love and bond that frankly just isn't possible in any other kind of a situation or context. It's only possible through the covenant commitment we've made to each other and the shared goals and experience we have with each other. I think that's exactly what God is extending to us. Because we willingly bind ourselves to him and try to follow him with a shared love and goal and commitment, there is a special love formed between us, and thus a special mercy that is available. And he talks about that again and again and again with Israel, that he will not give up on them because of his chesed towards them, because of this loving mercy that he continually will extend to them. Now, that happens for Israel as a whole, but that means it also applies to us as Israelite or covenant-holding individuals, that God will not give up on us. Mm -hmm. And that's tremendously comforting. And that's one of these ways that I'm talking about that the Scriptures can open up to you, because when you realize, okay, God has this kind of relationship with Israel as a whole, he has that relationship with me right now as an Israelite individual, then I can read the stories and I say, oh, look, there's Israel being stupid again, (laughs) and God has to humble them, but he doesn't give up on them, he works with them. Oh, look, it happened again. Mm -hmm. Oh, and again. Oh, now it's a 2,500-year cycle of humbling them and working with them. That gives me hope for myself. So that when I say, oh, here I am being stupid again, well, I already know how God works with stupid covenant individuals. He's not going to give up on them because he has chesed for them, so he's going to continue to work with them and, and bring them through whatever tutoring process they have to go through and bring them back to him. And, and I can know that because I've seen him do it time and time again with a covenant people, so I know he does it with a covenant person. So something that has come to my mind a couple times and that was massively enlightening for me. Um, The most quoted scripture ever in general conference. Do you know what it is, Carrie? I don't. It's, uh, it's, I'd like to know. It's Moses 139. Uh, For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Now, here's the thing that was interesting to me and relates directly with what you're talking about. You know, we hear that and, and, um, and we think, okay, well, what, what is God's purpose, right? I want to bring the immortality and eternal life of man, right? And so Christ, what did he do? He made it so we could be, you know, immortal and then eternal life that's possible through all these different covenants and things that we can do, right? And so we go, yes, right. of course, I understand that. And for the longest time, yeah, sorry, Billy Joel, move over, but for the longest time, I thought that <laughs> it was sort of that one-sided kind of thing. And here was the thing that was pointed out to me that that has been so crucial and speaks exactly to what you were just speaking about is that it is... God and Christ's work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life. And they, if they are going to accomplish the task that they have set out, they need us as we need them. And for, yes. for years and years and years, I, I thought it was more of this just like, oh, please give me mercy. Oh, please, can we come? And to know recognize and feel that God needs me in order to accomplish what he needs to accomplish changed, just mind blown. And and it's perfect that you bring that up and that, that verse. Um, so just a while ago, my family, we were doing our scripture study and we were reading where uh, Moroni says this in, in Mormon. If I remember right, it's Mormon chapter nine. He also says it again uh, towards the end of his own book in Moroni. But in, in uh, Mormon, he says, that we should seek for the glory of God or the welfare of God's covenant people. So, so look what he's just done there. He's equating God's glory with seeking for the welfare of his covenant people. Uh, and I think that, and he, and he does it in two different places where he, he equates it in that way. I think that speaks to just what you had said. If we are going to bring about the glory of God in the way that, so of course his son is the primary way that, that glory is brought about by extending immortality and eternal life to us. But still, there is a role for us to play, as you said, and that role is to seek for the welfare of his covenant people. Or in other words, we need to get people to make this covenant and keep the covenant and help the covenant be fulfilled. We do have a role to play in there. 
and and so in a way, uh, and and so this speaks then if we're going to talk about obligations, the second great commandment, right? So in essence, when if the Savior is asked, what is the great commandment of the law? What is being asked? Because they understand very well that keeping the law is their obligation under the Abrahamic covenant. So what they're asking them is, what are our most important obligations in the covenant? And, and Christ tells them, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, which we've been talking about. Also, love each other, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, and, and think about that. that. That's supposed to happen in, in any number of ways. There is a, a real and serious part of the covenant about helping each other in any way that we can, comforting those who stand in need of comfort, mourning with those uh, who mourn, taking care of the needy, and all of these things. But the biggest and most important obligation under the Abrahamic covenant, and you get this a little bit in the Old Testament, it's made really explicit in the book of Abraham, is to share the gospel. Now, this, well, to share the covenant, which includes the gospel. In fact, at one point in the Doctrine of Covenants, it defines the New and Everlasting Covenant as the gospel, and that makes sense because the covenant is God's promise that he will exalt us, and Christ and what he does for us makes that promise possible. In fact, Christ is sometimes referred to as the covenant and sometimes as the messenger of the covenant because Christ's major purpose is to fulfill the covenant or make it possible for God to save us the way he's promised that he will. So when we feel this love for God and we love others, we will naturally want to help them join in the covenant. Now, one of the reasons for that, so let's go back again to this this primary blessing we receive, which is also tied up with the, our primary obligation, this, this relationship with God, this loving of God. Here's a, a principle in the gospel I think most people don't understand very well. We love to feel loved, right? It feels good to feel loved. Sure. And it's important to know that we're loved, and it's important to know that we're loved by God. But I don't believe that our greatest joy comes from feeling loved. Our greatest joy comes from loving. It is as we love someone else, that's when we feel the happiest. And so as we love God, when we are filled with the love of God, we are filled with joy. And then we naturally want others to be able to experience that joy, the connection and the, the binding uh, relationship with God that we feel. We, if we love others, we naturally want them to feel that. If we love God, we know there are children, so we naturally want them to, to feel that. So one of our primary obligations under the covenant is to spread the covenant on both sides of the veil. And this is exactly what President Nelson keeps talking about, that we are supposed to gather Israel, right? And the gathering of Israel is based on this thing we've just been talking about, on chesed, or God's covenantal mercy. He has promised that he will bring Israel back to him, and he will never give up on them. And so, despite however far they get scattered, and however often they mess up, he will continue to work with them to bring them back to him. There's a literal, you know, physical gathering, but the most important thing is a gathering to him by creating this relationship through covenant. And that's what the gathering of Israel really is about, is helping everyone experience those great blessings that are in the covenant. So I want you to take off your cap of academia, and I want you to meet me at the uh, chocolate milk bar at uh, Brigham Young's campus, and I want to have a little, uh, what I would normally, under other circumstances, call bar chat, but we'll call it milk All chat right. for the purposes of this. President Nelson um, has encouraged us to not only study, but to live to the blessings of the Abrahamic Covenant. Mm -hmm. did that in October of uh, 2020 in the General Conference talk. So my question to you would be, is your speculation that he's talking about sharing the love of God and of Christ by spreading the gospel with people? Or would you expand that out to just being more loving? And then I have a follow-up question. Okay. I, I would say it's both. Okay. Um, in some ways, it is being more loving and helping in all ways that we can help, that, that loving our fellow man. But that is not—it's impossible for that to be fully realized if we don't take the next step, which is to help them have the closer relationship and the greater love with God by getting them to make the covenant themselves and to keep the covenant. So you, you have to make the covenant, but then you also have to keep it. And there's a whole like half a chapter in my book about keeping it. It, has to, it can't be just actions. It has to be something that's in your heart. Hmm. Right? So 
going going to church is not enough, and having food storage is not enough. There has to be something happening in your heart yeah. to be, really be keeping it. And so that's what we need to help people is to make and then really keep the covenant. Yeah, to make and keep the covenants. And I like that you address, and, and as, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this, obviously it's a whole book around what we're talking about, and we're trying to cram it in to an hour's worth of time. And uh, a special kudos to you as I try and take us on these different tangents uh, that you're like, okay, 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 yeah, sure. And I'd love to talk about that, but also let's make sure that we you know, set the table for everything that we're talking about. So, so then I want to take it one step further and go, you probably, since we just, you know, we're a month or so uh, after Christmas, you probably watched as part of your holiday celebration uh, a Christmas story, and you know that he saves up the points and he gets a little decoder ring and he finds out that the message is, you know, drink your Ovaltine or whatever the, the thing yeah. is. There, there is something very direct about that message. Do you feel that there would be more strength and... and I hope that this isn't setting up to 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 make some sort of critique of the prophet. So I'll make my words that. But do you think it would be more powerful if if the prophet, instead of saying, you know, really learn, study, and keep, and and know, and and make the covenants of the Abrahamic covenant, or if he just was like, guys, you're treating people terribly. Share the gospel with them, won't you, please, for crying out loud. Like, is it, is it almost like uh, those who will know will know and feel God's spirit telling them what to do, whereas the decoder ring just wants us to drink our Ovaltine? I, I think there's some of both. I think he has done both, in fact. So as he's talked about uh, a number of times when he's talked about the covenant, he said, what you need to do is gather Israel, and any time you are getting people to partake of the gospel on this side of the veil or the next, you're gathering Israel. right? And he called the youth to the youth brigade, uh, and what he told them to do was share the gospel with people here, do temple work so you can share the gospel with people on the other side of the veil. So he's been that simple at times, but that if we focus on it just that simply, we're going to miss some beautiful and rich things, some of which we haven't you know gotten to talking about yet, but, but there's even, as we talk about them, uh, this conversation or even reading the book won't be enough. There is something about the process that he's just asked us to go through. And you may need some help, you know, from listening to this or reading some study guides or the book or something. But there's something about the process of going through the scriptures and reading it that takes it into your heart. And we're just talking about how if you're keeping it, it's because it's in your heart. That You can't really get it into your heart by even a direct, powerful, and simple statement. That It has to be a process. Hmm. And studying and recognizing the covenant and how permeating it is, and I'll, I'll put it this way, as I've come to recognize the covenant and little languages and phrases that, that refer to the covenant, I have found it in the scriptures far more than I thought it was, hmm. far more, and they make sense to me more. Um, so just for example, when I wrote a, a little commentary on the Bible, on the Old Testament, I, I ended up using the word, I just did a word search, I used the word covenant 1,300 times. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's so frequent that it's in there when you recognize it. The process is as important as understanding the goal. So I think both are necessary, and I think he's done both. He's, he's talked narrowly and broadly about it. It's such an interesting thing. I have to break these things down in just such simple things. I know you're probably like, Richie, we get it. And I'm like, no, but I'm just barely discovering it. But you know, I think of, of the new parent, right? Husband and wife, they find out they're going to have a baby. So they get a bunch of books and they're like, oh, yes, we have read these books. We are so ready for this baby to come. You know, we know we know everything that it is. This book has told us what it is. And you're laughing, uh, I presume, yeah. because you have kids and are quickly able to recognize. Sure, you may know some things, yeah. but there is nothing uh, like the experience of doing it that that book can teach you that other part it may teach you great principles you know structure that may be able to help that child thrive but it doesn't change your heart like when you first see that child come into the world yeah. or first succeed as they do something and so if i'm understanding boiling it down to a very basic way of understanding until we actually take the action and beyond the action try and understand feel know the journey, we we can't truly understand all of the Abrahamic covenant or even covenants in general. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you're right. It's, it's the, the process is really part of it. Uh, that's well said. 
All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to let you have the last word with an almost promise to not interrupt you and just let you drive <laughs> home whatever it is that uh, we need to know uh, about the Abrahamic Covenant. We'll come back and we'll do that in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if you love this episode, you've loved other episodes that we did, maybe when you heard episode 407 with Carrie Mulestein, you said, that's a great episode. I should leave a review where I'm getting this episode of the Cultural Hall. You're right. You should have done that. Did you do that? Probably not. Can you make up for that? Repent of that error in your ways? You bet you can. Wherever you're getting this episode of the Cultural Hall, take a second and you can just give the amount of stars you feel like this and other shows deserve, or you can leave your comments in words. We always share those comments here on the show. And even more so, those times that we feel like shutting this whole thing down, pulling a weighted blanket over our head and just saying, that's it, I can't do it anymore. When we get those great comments that say, hey, you know what, this made a difference. It helps us go on. Wherever you get this episode, be, be sure to leave a review if you haven't done it before. And heck, even if you've done it before, do another one. It's not going to kill you to do it. We'd appreciate you for doing that. Now, Carrie, we have 15, 16, 17 minutes of time, and I am going to do my very best. I'm going to turn down my microphone, and I'm going to let you tell me what I need to know about the Abrahamic Covenant that we have not talked about yet. All right, so let's let's continue on with some of the blessings. I think we we've just barely been touching on the the beginning of that, and the, that it all forms from there. Everything forms from this idea of having a special relationship with God that is based on love, and that binds us to Him, and that that changes who we are. So, for example, one of the things that consistent descriptions God will give to Israel, who are His covenant people, is that they will be a holy nation. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean, to be holy, right? It's actually related to being a saint. Saint means, they both mean you're, you're sanctified. But the root of that word means to be different, to be set apart. Uh, on rare occasion, actually, in Hebrew, it's used to mean uh, set apart bad, but most of the time it's set apart good, right? In other words, it's not like the rest of the world. It's not the mundane. It's different. It is like, it is more like God. And that's the point. We're becoming more godlike. The relationship should change us. And, and frequently in the scriptures, the idea of making a covenant is, is coupled with being born again or becoming a son or a daughter of God. And of course, we already were, but in a different way, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, we're now a changed or a new creature. Uh, and, and think about, again, we said you, you enter into the covenant at baptism. Well, we get the baptism uh, of water, right, where the, the, our, our sins are washed away symbolically, but I think also really happens. And let's not forget that we renew this covenant weekly. Um, so we, you may not think of it in those terms, but when you take the sacrament and you go to the temple, one of the things I hope you'll, you'll think of is renewing the Abrahamic covenant. But we have those sins washed away, but then we receive the Holy Ghost, this baptism of fire, it's often called in the scriptures as well, which is, is the sanctifying process. It changes our nature. So the ordinances of the covenant invite the power of the covenant into our lives so that the, the Holy Ghost comes and changes who we are. And thus, we are more holy. We're a different people. We're, we're not like we were before. Hopefully, we're less worldly, more godly, more celestial, we could say. Uh, we're, we're just different than we were before. And to the degree that we keep that difference and increase it, then we're covenant people. When we lose that difference, when we just fit in with the world and we're acting like they do, then we're not really covenant people anymore. We're no longer the other phrase that gets applied to covenant people is a peculiar people. Well... We should be peculiar because we're not acting like everyone else. We're acting more godly because we're different. Let, let me ask you, I know, I promised I wouldn't say anything, and I just, I just no can't keep... No one wants to keep... hear me straight for 17 minutes, <laughs> so it's good. So how, in a, in a time uh, in the world, you queued this up, like I mentioned earlier, 
in a time where we want, it is so important for the rising generation to be inclusive of all, and mm-hmm. yet we're saying we are setting ourselves uh, apart by being a covenant people. How how can we? I mean, it's the age-old question of being in the world but not of the world. But how do we? Right. How do we? How do we juggle that? Because for a lot of people, I think hearing that there's some level of discomfort going. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to make someone feel that they're not part of this and or that I'm better or, you know, I just want it to be a, a big tent and everyone's welcome and we're all great. Yeah, and and I think we can do both, but it will be uncomfortable. Mm. You can't be godly in a celestial world and feel comfortable. Uh, you, there's going to have to be a level of discomfort. In fact, think of that baptism of fire. It's also called purging. That sounds like an uncomfortable process when you think about it, um, and and I think that becoming more saintly or more godly is a somewhat uncomfortable process. But I do think it's possible for us to have this large tent and love everyone, and accept, and, and the Savior is in, insistent. We don't turn people away. Mm-hmm. If they want to come and be with us, great, come and be with us. But if you're going to be part of the covenant, then you're going to have to act differently. And it is possible to say, you know what, I love you, I'm I'm, I'm with you, but I'm not going to do that. That's just not something I'm comfortable doing. Uh, I'm not going to behave that way. And we probably all have some friends or situations that we're in where that's how it is. Right? I, I, I'm around some people, and they're, they're going to talk a certain way. They use a certain kind of language that I'm just not going to talk that way. I'm not kicking them out. I will on occasion say, you know, I don't. could you just not use that word? I don't, I don't really like that word. But for the most part, I'm letting them talk, but I'm not going to talk that way. And that is being peculiar, and it is sometimes uncomfortable. And, you know, I'll go to uh, dinner with people, and I'm the only one not uh, drinking alcohol, and they're wondering why. Well, sometimes that's a little uncomfortable, but it's okay, uh, right? We can we can be, because what will draw people to us and the covenant, what will allow us to be the light that Christ said we should be as we hold him up as a light, it's not going to be being the same as everyone else. If we're the same as everyone else, then what's the point? It is the difference that allows the light, and this is one of the things... Frequently, Isaiah, who probably talks about the covenant more than anyone else, which is why both Christ and Nephi, both of them, quote Isaiah when they're talking about the covenant. Isaiah frequently will talk about being a light that others will come to, and he refers to a servant that that will be that way, and he identifies the servant most often as Israel, meaning covenant people are the servant. Now, there's a fulfillment of it in Christ as well. He is the servant, but, uh, but Israel is the servant that will be a light that others will come to because they are different, because they are making and keeping this covenant, which changes who they are and what they do. The commandments that we keep are the set of instructions that make us different. So I want to ask this just sort of, it may, for someone who studied uh, the Abrahamic covenant as much as you had, it may even be crass, the question that I want to ask. Why does it matter that his posterity was numerous? Like, if, if as we as we you know have the promise of a numerous posterity, I don't want a bunch of kids. I guess is what I'm getting <laughs> at, Carrie. So so, what part of that? Why why is that a great blessing, or what does that mean, or what can we glean great, from that? Great question. So and that is one of the blessings, right? Numerous posterity. So uh, and and we have to realize that that and other blessings apply on many levels. So it applies to Abraham in that literally his seed and the earth will be very very numerous. We'll come back to that in a second. It applies to me and you in different ways. You know, so I have six kids. Is that numerous? It depends on the yes. generation. The have, answer right? is yes. That is that is a yeah. lot of kids. I'm just teasing. Yeah, but but well, that, but that's not what my grandparents would have said, right? So it, it kind of depends. But in in the hereafter, I think we we are promised you know eternal increase, and so th- there's another layer of this, right? Hmm. But for Abraham specifically, it is important because of this. Um, so. If we're going to understand the both the promises, uh, and let me just quickly list off a couple of other promises, and then we're going to come back to this, all right? Mm-hmm. We've got the promise of, of uh, numerous posterity. Protection is a huge one, given in beautiful ways that he'll, he'll lead us by our hand or by the hand. He'll be our shield, and so on and so on. Uh, so protection and prospering, uh, those are some of the the uh, and then the, the rights to the, the ordinances of the gospel. So those are some of the, the most oft-repeated ones, all right? And there is a, a logical flow to there that the relationship creates the ability to, 
to prosper and, and when you're prospering, you need to be protected and so on. So all of these things work, and, and I explained that more in the book so you can read it there. But, but then we also need to understand the scattering and gathering as part of this. So this is just basic history, but uh, to make sure we get it, the, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, roughly ten tribes, are scattered by the Assyrians. And we talk about them being lost, lost tribes of Israel. But it's not because they got lost geographically, right? They were taken into various parts of the country, and then is the Syria fell, and they said, oh, I don't know how to get back. Well, what was that way? Does anyone, did anyone leave breadcrumbs? <laughs> there, there was nothing along those. They could have gotten back. By that time, they'd assimilated. Their proclivity was always, and by the way, I hope we start to think of this as family history. I hope we read the Old Testament as family history. The covenant should do that for us. It's our family history, whether you're literally descended from Israel or not. Once you've made this covenant, this is your story, this is your family history. So as we look at our family and we say they had a proclivity always to take in what everyone else around them was doing. They weren't being peculiar. They wanted to do the same thing everyone else was doing, so they worshipped their gods, and that's what caused them problems in the first place. Mm -hmm. So then God scatters them in an effort to humble them so that they will come back. But they're so wanting to be like everybody else, not holy, not peculiar, to go on the conversation we just had, that they just assimilate. Pretty soon they've forgotten about God or Jehovah, and they've just taken in all the other gods and all the other cultural elements all around them, and they've lost their covenant consciousness. So when we talk about them being lost, it's not that they're lost geographically, they've lost their covenant consciousness. And if that was their danger, it's probably our danger as well. That's one of the other things we can learn from this. But in any case, they end up being scattered throughout the entire world. Now, part of that is the process God uses to humble them, so that then uh, they will realize they need him and come back. And there's a long period, this is a 2,500-year cycle we're talking about here. There's a long period of them receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and so on, maybe given in an imperfect form, but still they accept Christ and so on. And that prepares them so that eventually when the covenant is restored, these lost members of the house of Israel will recognize that covenant and come back. But now that they've been scattered throughout the entire earth, when you bring them back, they can bring the whole world with them hmm. because they're scattered throughout the entire world. So part of the reason that works is because they're numerous. There has to be a ton of them so that they are in every part of the earth. They've intermarried with everybody so that now God calls them back and the whole world comes because of how many and how far they are and, and their willingness to finally recognize the covenant uh, as God continues to work with them slowly and patiently over such a long time period to, to bring them back to him. This whole conversation— is a lot. And I think that if people have made it this far into it, a, a huge kudos. Carrie, you are someone to me that I, I honestly, I, I love that you can teach me a principle and then we sort of circle back around it and I go, hey, can I understand a little bit? And you go, yes, you do understand, but wait, there's more. And then there's a little bit more and you give me just enough that I get my mouth full of the of whatever we're biting off, and then you're like, do you understand? And I go, well, I think I'm understanding. And then you go, but wait, there's more. And there continues to be so much. Obviously, that's why you have written a book about this. What is the book called? Um, it's called, uh, let me see if I can remember the exact title. God Will Prevail, Ancient Covenants at Modern Blessings and Gatherings. I may have reversed the words, of, of uh, the order of that just a little bit. I can't remember for sure now, but, but God Will Prevail is the main title. And it's true, first of all, that God will prevail. But second of all, I want to let people know that they, in fact, will be able to find a link for it in the show notes. Uh, brand new, coming out this month. Uh, people will be able to buy that book and, and be able to uh, consume it. You could give it as a late Christmas gift. If there was that person in your life you didn't know what to get them for, I know it's February and they're like, Christmas already? And you're like, no, I'm making up for the last Christmas, which I messed up. You can purchase that book uh, for them uh, with that link that's in the show notes. I also hope that uh, for those who are earnestly saying, okay, you know, President, we're coming up on another general conference. President Nelson asked me to study these blessings, and I haven't known what to do or how to do. Uh, I, I hope that this will help people fulfill their desires that follow that prophetic counsel. I guess along with that, the question that I have Sometimes, um, you know, I'll talk with folks like yourself and, and some other folks I've had here in the cultural hall. It, it's super academic. Do you feel like the book reads in a way that, in the way that I, Richie, understand things that someone can access the book and go, I get what Carrie's talking about? Yeah, I, I think so. I've worked really hard to make it that way. I had a, a series of student editors go through and, and help me do that. Then I had another 
uh, editor go through and then another editor. And in fact, what I eventually did was I said, okay, there are three chapters that uh, are just a little bit more academic. They're now the appendix. Um, <laughs> so that anyone who wants to wade into that is welcome to, but the rest is, is uh, much more user-friendly and uh, written. I, I tried to write more the way I, I uh, would talk with a friend than the way I write an academic article. And, and I hope I've succeeded in that. I feel like it's fairly user-friendly and it's a little bit uh, deeper in, in those three appendices. If there is, if the answer to this question is a restatement of something you said previous, feel free to restate it if it's brand new. I would be curious to know that, but you studied the Abrahamic Covenant. You know it in and out. It is your day job. It is what this book is all about. From studying the Abrahamic Covenant, what is something that you do different now that you had not done previous to this endeavor? I'll say two things, um, and they, they are a little bit of a restatement of what we, we've said, but as I've focused, especially this last year, finishing this book and, and, and so on, and working on teaching it, uh, I have been profoundly changed. I focus more on having a relationship with God. And I focus more on helping my fellow man. And those are two things that were already, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have already said those are the two most important things in my life. They are, uh, I feel them much more deeply, and I'm much more affected by it, and I'm much more conscious of it now. And the scriptures remind me of it more now than ever before. And that's been, uh, I'm so glad you asked this question, give me a chance to say, that has been for me personally a peaceful and enriching and uh, immensely satisfying aspect of my life to realize that my personal relationship with God is deepening and that I am more motivated to help those around me and I love them more. I guess I'm more suffused in love as a result of this. You know, I'm, I want to put you on the spot right now, uh, and so sorry, too bad. I get, I, I'm in charge. I get a pick. Oh, wait, I'm hanging up. I can't I, oh, no, what? Oh, can you hear me now? Nope. Yeah, Must be yeah. a static tower. Um, I want to put you on the spot, and I want to invite you to come back into the cultural hall for a third time. Um, but there is going to be some, some work that's involved in this topic, knowing that you study ancient scripture. And so I want to cue this up, and, you know, maybe in six months' time, we revisit. But, but, I'm, but I am curious— more and more, as I talk to people in general, but certainly folks of a younger generation, the narrative that the Old Testament is likely just parables that are written and that none of those people truly existed, I, I hear more and more frequently, right? Yeah. Quoting certainly like stories like Jonah and the whale. And, you know, some of some of these other things that it's like it, it, it's not discounting that there is a God, that there is Christ who saved us. And, you know, all these things. These are very Christian people who are looking at the Old Testament and being like, oh, you believe it literally. Oh, and then kind of pat you on the head. Can we have a, a, a talk about that? About I would love to uh, about how we maybe know that 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 is true and or false and maybe we can go back and on another side of it and then a uh, uh, maybe if you're willing another side of that conversation was let let's say that maybe if it were true what does that mean or what does it not mean or any of that kind of stuff and and I obviously don't, I don't want to put you in any sort of uncomfortable position except to commit you to have that conversation in the future yeah. with me. I would love to have that conversation. I, it's it's one of the things I love talking about with my students. So I, uh, that would be a great thing to do. So let's do it. All right. Uh, we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall three questions. Carrie, they have not changed since I asked them to you last time, but I will ask them again the same. Do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Uh, I am the bishop right now, which is different than when you asked me last time. So I'm, <laughs> I'm still a rookie at this. Yeah. Well, and, and to have people actually in your office, I bet, is a weird experience, huh? Yeah, although right now more I do more interviews via Zoom than in my office, but it's it's uh, we're getting there. So we do some in the office. So yeah. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Uh, I think I would like to be the elders quorum service, compassionate service leader. That may not completely exist, but that's what I'd like to be. 
Yeah, we that can't be the Relay Society of Compassionate Service Leaders. So yeah, we actually. Uh, I'm not sure if it's supposed to exist, but whatever that means, uh, our ward actually called that. They called it an Elders right. Quorum Compassionate Service because we were like, the women have one. Why can't we have one? We have a need for it, and it 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 changed yeah. the scope, the landscape of the Elders Quorum more than probably anything else that we did in that time. Uh, I digress. Uh, but Eric, so I, actually, last time you asked me, I was the Elders Quorum president, and I did create, I didn't call it Compassionate Service, but we did create a service leader, but I'd like to see it expanded more. So I, I, I'm going to have to look at how your Elders Quorum does it so we can we can make that happen. Well, I have to tell you, if there's a, if there's a person in a position of power within a local congregation that could make a thing like that happen, Carrie, it's you. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. Um, what was the third question? The third question is, is if, uh, uh, what is, interpret it however you will, your favorite part of your faith? It's got to be, uh, what I talked about right at the end, that I feel so happy when I'm suffused in the love of God and the love of the people around me, especially my family, but really just the, 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 the people around me. The, that feeling that love for others just makes me happy. Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen to it this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen to it next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back 